Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So inside your worship packet, you will find an insert sheet that talks about prayers of confession. That not only has the scripture that I read for you a moment ago, but it also has a little reflection and a little explanation of prayers of confession and then an opportunity for you to try it yourself because it's a good thing to try. And everybody loves it when we talk about prayers of confession. That always makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. And so as we are reflecting on not only the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but our prayer life during Advent, it's appropriate for us to give heed and pay attention to prayers of confession. And Daniel is quite intriguing to do this for us because Daniel speaks in the plural, in the we. We have sinned. We have broken your heart. We have rebelled against your love. We have done wrong, is what Daniel says. And as Daniel is saying this, those of you who are familiar with Daniel might be saying, Daniel didn't do all of that. And Daniel wasn't perfect. But Daniel is a model Israelite, a model Jew. Daniel, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, actually has a conversation so that he can continue to be faithful and keep the commandments. He has risen in stature and in position in the household of the king of Babylon while the people are in exile. And he has done this because not only is God with Daniel and blessing Daniel, but Daniel continues to abide in God's grace and use what God has given him, but also to pay attention to make sure that he doesn't break God's commandments. And one of the things he does is, as he is now part of the inner echelon and part of those who are advising Pharaoh, advising the king and carrying out his will, he is now expected to dine with them and eat like they eat and dress like they dress. And this is a problem because the Babylonians are an unclean people. They do not keep kosher. They don't keep to the same requirements of fabrics and clothing, and they have different practices. And so Daniel has a conversation with Babylon's equivalent of the head chef and says to him, I would like it if you would help me to keep the commandments that I must do for my God, and I cannot eat the food and drink the wine that you all are eating and drinking. And the head chef says, I can't feed you something else, because God forbid you should not look healthy, then I'm going to be in trouble. And Daniel says, well, fine, let's try it for 10 days. For 10 days, feed me and my fellow Jews that are in service to the king only vegetables and water." And we'll see at the end of 10 days, if we look any weaker to you, if we are any sicker or we are unable to do our job, then we will eat what you serve us. And the head chef says, fine. But at the end of 10 days, living only on vegetables and water, they are just as healthy and just as strong. And so they are able to keep kosher even while living in exile in Babylon, even while immersing themselves in the culture and the work of the palace. And so during this time, Daniel reflects on how his people got here. Why is it that we are stuck here in Babylon, as he indicated, for 70 years? Why are we being punished with this? We are a people that were brought out of exile. We were brought into the promised land. Why are we now expelled? Why are we not allowed to be in the place that God has created for us? 
And as he looks at it, he notices that the people that are living in exile, some of them have completely forsaken the commandments. Some of them have just become Babylonians. They are worshiping their gods. They are wearing their clothes. They are eating and drinking their cuisine and their beverages. And they are completely polluted. They are not following the purity codes. And as he looks at this, he says, well, you know what? Some of these are the same people that did that back home, which is why we're living like this. It'll never get any better unless we confront our failures, if we confront the ways in which we have rebelled against God's commandments. We will be stuck here forever if we don't turn our hearts back to God. And so while he has not committed these same sins, he places himself in the collective and prays with and for them. And that's important for us because sometimes we can speak in language that makes it think like it's us and then them. Right? You hear people say it. Did you see what they did? Have you been listening to them? I mean, we, you know, we all sin, we all make mistakes. Not that we're going to sit here and talk about what we do wrong, but have you noticed what they are doing? And we tend to speak like this, as if they are somebody that is not us, as if we are distinct from them. And Daniel is calling to us and challenging us not to think like this, to think that we are more intimately woven together than that, that it's not just that she's a fellow Christian and I'm a Christian, so therefore we're in this together, or he lives in Crozet and I live in Crozet and we're neighbors and so forth, we're, we're in this together, but that every single person on this planet that ever has, is now, or will be on this planet is part of the family of God that we are all part of humankind, and so we are truly in this together. And if we start looking at it that way, it changes not only how we perceive our sin and need to confess, but it helps us to look at how we as a whole need to look at what we do, how we speak, how we behave, and the ways in which we commit sin individually and corporately. And as we start to do this, sometimes it's helpful to recognize that God gives us examples of this, right? Not just in Scripture, this morning, I had a real-life example of this. I got up like I do every Sunday morning, and the first thing you do is let the dogs out, let them back in, and then they'd like to be fed. So as I started to feed my dogs, and I have a beagle named Macaroon, and I have a chihuahua named Cholula, they never get their names confused. Macaroon, Cholula. They don't tend to get their names confused ever. And so this morning, as I was going into the pantry to get something out for their food, I ended up knocking over a container that had a lot of Christmas cookies in it. And it all hit the ground. And I said, stop! And the dogs froze. And I said, don't touch it! And the beagle looked at me. And the beagle looked at the cookies. And the beagle looked back at me and took a step toward the cookies. Looked at the cookies again. Looked at me and proceeded to miraculously eat a cookie while looking at me. Because it was in that moment I recognized that beagles have not been gifted with impulse control. And so she started, I was like, no, don't eat the cookies. Stop eating the cookies. It was quite short of wrath of God mode, but just on the cusp. And so she stopped. She ran all the way into the other room and hopped up on a chair and was looking through the doorway. Like. And all of a sudden I looked over there and I noticed that she wasn't alone. That Cholula was sitting right beside her, cowering, ears back. Like, don't worry, Macaroon, I'm here with you. And I said, I'm not even yelling at you, Cholula. She couldn't begin to get her mouth on one of these cookies. I said, you didn't do anything. And Cholula's like, no, we're in this together. And that's when I realized, you know what? Dogs get it. 
when Macaroon is upset, when Macaroon is being chastised, Cholula feels it. It resonates with her. When Macaroon is joyful and happy, Cholula is joyful and happy. They understand that they are part of a pack. They are a family. They are something bigger than themselves. Because Cholula could have been like, yeah, you bad dog. Look what you did. And she didn't. Instead, she had tremendous empathy. She acted in concert with Macaroon to say, you know what? I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry. We're sorry. Don't be mad at us forever. And so as we think about the prayers of confession, we recognize that even if we didn't individually do the exact same things, we are part of a group that continually makes mistakes, that fails, that sins. And so it's appropriate for us to recognize that it is more than just us. I mean, we, we recognize this in the communion liturgy, and especially at 11 o'clock when we do the full communion liturgy on communion Sundays, and we will do it at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve, we come to see that there is a place for us to confess. And in that place, we start off with corporate confession. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done God's will. We have rebelled against God's love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. And certainly there are people who go, well, you know what, I didn't do any of that stuff. And that's true. There are plenty of people that didn't commit those sins. There are plenty of people that knocked it out of the park this week. There are some people that knock it out of the park every week. There are some people that hit spiritual grand slams for Jesus every single week. And we rejoice in that too. But we can't rejoice in the collective celebrations if we don't recognize the collective failures. It is both. And by recognizing the failures, God is enabled to work through and in us so that there will be more celebrations and less failures. That we will continue to ascend as we rise to meet the grace that Christ came to give to us. Instead of focusing on just, well, I'm fine, but the rest of y'all are a hot mess. That's not the message of Christmas. The message is we are in this together. And so in my house, there's a lot of nativities. I think I've told some of you this before. I'm now up to 14. I got a new one this year. I'm up to 14 nativities. They are everywhere in my house, not in the bathrooms. Somebody asked me about that. They're not in my bathrooms. That would be a little awkward. But they're all in my house. And so when you're standing there getting a cup of coffee or when you're sitting in front of the fireplace or you're getting ready to go to bed, there is a depiction, and they all vary, but there's a depiction of the birth of Jesus Christ. And the more that I look at it, and especially as I'm preparing for the 5 o'clock worship service and the sermon it is, I am amazed at the ingenuity of God, of how God brought together this very unlikely cast of characters, not just human, but animals, to help us understand that we are all in this together, and it takes all of them to make the scene. Everybody has a part, everybody is important, and everybody is of worth in the nativity. And I look at that, and in my house, just like here, there's no baby Jesus yet. Baby Jesus will show up on Tuesday for Christmas Eve, and there will be baby Jesus. But until then, when you walk around the house, people will say, there's no Jesus in your nativity. And I'm like, yes. They're like, that's weird. I'm like, yes, it is. Because part of the thing that I do when I'm raising my child to be a Christian is, on Christmas Day, he's going to wake up all excited. And then he's going to say, can I open my presents? And I'm going to say, no. And I'm going to hand him a basket full of 14 different baby Jesus. And he's going to get to go around in a reverse Easter egg hunt and put all the correct baby Jesus in the correct nativities. And only then 
Once Jesus has been settled into the manger, will he get to celebrate Christmas? Because I'm trying to drive home the point that without Jesus, there's no Christmas. Without Jesus, there is no celebration. And without Jesus to help us to grow beyond our sinfulness individually and collectively, there is no celebration. There is no grace of God. The grace of God is not enough for one or a few. It is for all. And we struggle sometimes to remember that, that it's for all of us. And so we have to continually look back and say, where have I failed? Where have I not helped my brother and my sister in Christ? Where have I allowed my siblings to go unchecked? Where have my siblings not helped me? Where can we grow together so that we can grow in God's love and we can model for the world exactly what Daniel was trying to model for his people living in exile? Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Christmas reminds us that we want the day when everything will change again. The annual celebration of the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a practice for his return, the second advent, the second coming. And we get ready for that and we practice and we take stock of who we are and who our households are becoming. And we look to see, what do I need to do, Lord, to draw even closer this year? What do I need to do to get myself ready? Not just the way my house looks or the way I dress and the way I present myself on Christmas, but what do I need to do so that my heart looks like the room that you were denied that night? What do I need to do so that my heart looks like the space that others are denied in the world that you created? What shall I do now, Lord? And if we ask ourselves this, if we reflect on this, then we come to realize that Christians especially are holding close to the promise of that second arrival, the day of resurrection, when we will be resurrected with bodies that will never cry, they will never sin, they will never get sick, they will never die. And the older I get, the more that promise means something to me. And the longer I live and the more I encounter the death of people that I love, the people that I miss and that I mourn, the more important the promise of the day of resurrection becomes to me. Because those are the people that I will see once more. Those are the people that I will have a new body that I can touch and hold and hug and not have to worry about death yanking them away again. And we want to have that moment. We want that reunion. We want to be able to be with these people. And then we want the promise that we can enter into the kingdom to come, heaven on earth, and that we can stay there forever. That it's not just a week or a vacation or a mini Sabbath, that it is all eternity. And that death, mourning, crying, sin will cease, but that the reunion will never end. That is what we want. But if that is what we truly want, then we have to recognize that we're asking for that and to be in all eternity with a lot of people that we don't know and some that we do know and some that we don't like and that we have to be willing to say to God, I accept all of them because they are yours and together we shall worship you for all time. That is the thrust of the maturing of Christianity in Christmas, that we recognize that this is bigger than just ourselves. That the nativity is not enough when it's just Mary and Joseph and the baby. That there were angels and shepherds. There were donkeys and sheep and cattle. And then God was not happy to have just that. God sent a star so that by camels, others would come from afar. Is that not who God is creating us to be this Christmas? 
the people that recognize that we are offering an opportunity for people to come from afar. Some of them are coming from great distances and visiting people in Crozet. Some of them are coming from spiritual wastelands, a wilderness where they do not know and they do not understand the grace of God. But because of our willingness to open up our inn for our desire to show them the ministry of hospitality, our commitment to honoring our Lord and Savior on the annual celebration of his birth, perhaps this year they will catch a glimpse of the promise of resurrection. Perhaps this year they will recognize that the grace that we all sing about, the wonder that we all hold, is not just something to be observed, it is something to take for themselves. Because grace is like a Christmas present. God wraps it and prepares it and crafts it and puts your name on it. But God doesn't make you eat it. God doesn't force feed it on you. God doesn't cram it into your hands and say, take it! God presents it to you and says, is today the day? Are you ready? Are you willing? Do you want it? And for those of us that have even just once taken that present and opened it up and marveled at the vastness inside of grace and mercy and love. For those of us that have had it for just a moment, we spend our whole lives looking for it. And God says, I don't have just one present under the tree for you. I have grace for you every second of every day for the rest of your life. Every second for every day, for the rest of your life. Can we not take a moment and recognize that in spite of our failure, in spite of our sinfulness, as individuals, as the body of Christ, as the church universal, and as human beings throughout all time, that God still chooses to give to us grace, Emmanuel, and a place in God's home, not made with hands but eternal in the heavens. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.